Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Coming up on this week's show, CBS makes big news with a massive change to Champions League coverage. Our thoughts on the Premier League's big picture proposal. Details about more pay-per-view coming to soccer games. Find out more about your chance to win a Wolfsburg shirt. Our opinions about Conmebol's World Cup qualifiers. Plus, we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. And if you're new to the World Soccer Talk podcast, we're your weekly guide to getting the best out of soccer viewing options from around the world. Now, Kartik, uh, hooray, international break is officially over. <laughs> it's been a long 10 days, or almost two weeks, by the time uh, the, the season returns this weekend, I mean, the European seasons, etc., it's. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of uh, UEFA Nations League. The, the vast majority of games I watched were um, Conmebol World Cup qualifiers. I had a chance to to watch it uh, on uh, through Fanatis, the uh, the pay per view. Well, there's a streaming platform, right? But they, they in this case they had uh, the games available on pay per view, as well as uh, other broadcasters, Directv, Dish, etc. And uh, the games themselves were great. Uh, really very highly competitive. Uh, Peru against Brazil was uh, a really good game. Peru had uh, a couple of chances to win this one and really caused a shock. But uh, it got a little bit physical towards the end and Brazil came back uh, and won it pretty convincingly score-wise. Uh, Ecuador against Uruguay. Ecuador causing a big upset there, beating Uruguay. And uh, Ecuador showing some flashes of brilliance from what we're used to seeing them uh, in the past, uh, really attacking, good flair, um, good football, and uh, exciting to watch. Uh, Argentina against Ecuador is another game I watched, uh, so on and so forth. Venezuela against Paraguay, surprisingly, was a really good game. Paraguay getting a, a win there with the, um, a late penalty save in that match. But uh, the interesting thing for me, though, Kartik, was, um, yeah, the interesting thing about this, Kartik, it was, it was pretty strange for me watching the Common Ball games. I enjoyed watching them, but it's strange because they were completely produced by Being Sports. Now, Being Sports only had one of these games that, were, that was exclusive to them, but um, 
the decision that was reached, I guess, I don't know if it was Media Pro, which is the agency that was selling the rights to the Common Bowl games, uh, being Sports went ahead and produced it. They had their graphics, they had their commentators. So you had Phil Shane, Ray Hudson, uh, George Metellus, uh, Andres, uh, uh, Drake Cordero, Eric Krakauer, the usual suspects in a, in a good way, uh, producing the games and commentating the games. And uh, the, the coverage was good, just what we're used to on being sports. Uh, and uh, they must have, I, I'm interested in in what they did as far as this one, as far as uh, if they reached a revenue deal, a revenue share deal where they said, okay, we'll produce these games and, and uh, produce them for pay-per-view, but we want to cut. Um, that, that's what I'm guessing at, but, uh, or, or maybe they got, they got paid a straight amount of money for uh, whatever it would be to produce the games and actually use their commentators. That, that was strange. It, it makes me think, it makes me wonder financially how secure being sports is but that's a whole other story for a whole other day but that that i didn't have a game of the week this week but i did enjoy thoroughly watching the uh, commonwealth world cup qualifiers what about you Kartik? what what, what have you been watching yeah so i i would have loved to have watched the commonwealth uh, world cup qualifiers the pay-per-view put me off i had no interest in the european uh, break in fact i i feel like the european matches shouldn't have, be, have been going on because of covid and unfortunately in hindsight my my skepticism about it has been justified based on what's happened uh but in terms of south america i did want to watch those matches i did follow each and every one of those matches on my score ticker uh on on, on, on various uh apps but was not able to and then checked out the highlights after but was not able to watch any live i suppose the match i would really uh am un- unhappy i missed was that ecuador uruguay match you referenced we have seen uh ecuador at times be uh aggressive and open when they play in quito because it's at altitude right uh we've seen that in the past in past world cup qualifying cycles Uruguay, I think, has a phenomenal side, even with some of their aging superstars. So that was uh, that was surprising to me. That result was very surprising to me to see them uh, give up uh, four goals. Before you go, go mention the, the women's games, I, I'm curious, like, why did you think that the game should not have been played? Because of COVID. I think COVID is rampant throughout Europe. You're crossing international borders. And, uh, and, and I think what, it has, what we have found is the European Union has, been, has proven itself completely inept in handling this pandemic. So each individual country has had to take each every individual EU member. And of course, not every country in UEFA is in the EU anyway. But in terms of the Western European countries, each individual Western European country has had to put in place its own COVID protocols because the European Union has done such a poor job. And now, unfortunately, what we're seeing is by having uh, athletes and, and, and teams cross uh, international boundaries, you're, 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 you're leading to, to more spread. So I'm yeah, not sure who's, the who's COVID fa- situation fault? in South America. Who, who's, whose fault is that, though? Is, is it the UEFA's? Confi- no, but is it, doesn't it come down to the players? I mean, like Tammy Abraham and you mean some of the uh, England players going out partying uh, well, yeah, at parties? Yeah, that, uh, I mean, that's not that's not the fault of the federation or the the football association. 
It is. They should not be having these matches in the middle of a pandemic when it, there is no reason to have these matches. It's not it's not critical. I mean, having Euro 2021 or whatever it's called, I guess it's still called Euro 2020. It's not the end of the world if you have to just cancel the tournament. Oh, we, it's not the end of the world if you have to cancel Copa America. But they're acting like they have to make up all these matches. And they're being a lot less vigilant, in my opinion, than they were in March when they prudently uh, suspended the season and suspended internationals. They're, the pandemic is as bad now as it was then. Yeah, but again, I mean, these, these games have to be played. You got Euro twenty twenty qualifiers. I know, but so so what? So what's the, what's the point of playing soccer at all then? Should we just all go inside and just not play games and, and just no, wait we six should, months? We should, we, uh, we can play games in domestic leagues because domestic countries. Yeah, but the domestic no MLS MLS major league soccer has had more postponements than any league. No, no, but MLS is different because they're actually allowing people at the games, and the US is a different situation because each state has different rules in the u.s yeah but it's, it's a, still, a federal it's still system. A domestic country this is my point no but this is my point about europe okay so if you have a league that's playing entirely within portugal or entirely within the uh, uh within england you can control certain things you can't once you have international matches the u.s you can't control anything because every every state has different rules so i don't think mls should be playing at all i i agree with that mls should not be playing usl should not be playing nisa should not be playing but uh in terms of europe i cannot believe they had international matches and it's no coincidence that cristiano ronaldo the biggest name in the game now ha- has uh covid19 i know but it, the, that's the, a result the, of these internationals it's it, it may not be a result of the internationals it may be a re- result of him going out and partying and hanging out and and and, and and not taking it the, not you do, I mean doing the whole social distancing and all all the steps required I mean, to me, to me, a lot of this comes down to the players, the players' responsibilities to follow the, the guidelines and the protocols. I mean, with the Bundesliga, we had hardly any issues at all um, in, in the games that were played. Um, but Major League Soccer, I guess in many ways you have, what, it was like 50, 50 different countries, really, in many ways. Each state is so different. Um, but as far as the domestic league, to me, that's probably the league that's been run the, the p- most poorly in terms of the number of cases, the number yeah. of postponements. We had another one tonight. There's actually two games postponed on Wednesday night. But but I, I don't know. My, my 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 take on this is that these games need to be played. These games should be played. These games are being played. And for the most part, the large, large major- majority, uh, these games are going smoothly as far as whether it's international games or club games. Yes, there are sporadic um, points where players are getting infected. I think a lot of it stands to the players. I don't think it. I think they're probably breaking the rules and doing things that they shouldn't be. And and that's not fair on the on the federations. That's not fair on the the football associations from around the world. Uh, it's not fair on the clubs too. Is that these if these players aren't following the guidelines, then then they're more susceptible to, to catching COVID. I would agree with that, and I completely agree with the the Chilwell, uh, Abraham, I forget who the third player was, Sancho, those guys going out and partying completely inappropriate. If you had to play any matches, okay, Scotland versus Israel had to be played. Uh, the, the 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 Ireland, the Slovakia, Norway, uh, the Ireland, Northern Ireland, the, the qualifiers, right, or the playoff matches. These Nations League matches and these friendlies, they haven't needed to be played at all. I mean, I you wonder. I know for you as a as a Wales fan, it, it's always you don't get to play England very much, and so there must have been some anticipation, even though you had a, a C team basically, you had a lot of guys that were missing for that match. Uh, I understand the anticipation for that, but at the same time, 
were those matches really necessary or friendlies necessary? Is the uh, uh, we're going to get to uh, the big picture later, so we, I, I maybe we'll save some of this for that because I think some of some of that applies to what I'm saying here. Yeah. Um, but, but, so, but, but, uh, but the thing with the ahead. UEFA Nations League is that it does have an impact on qualification for major events. So uh, yes, there are glorified friendlies in many ways, but uh, there are implications in terms of teams moving up those those tables and ladders and qualifying for European tournaments that otherwise they wouldn't be uh, able to qualify for them. Which the whole the whole UEFA Nations League, I mean, is kind of a... Uh, it's complicated, but that there are routes and paths for these teams to actually progress and uh, to actually qualify for tournaments. I, I, mean, friend, I mean, friendly is out of the picture, but uh, these are meaningful games. Yeah, I mean, relatively speaking... Some of these games are more meaningful than others, but in the big picture, none of them are really meaningful. The South American matches are. There's a World Cup qualifiers that are late in starting qualifying. I understand that, and I think they may have more control over what's not Brazil, not necessarily Colombia either. But some some of those countries aren't having all of these uh, issues like uh, like Western Europe is all of a sudden again. So well, and we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens when November rolls around. I mean, I don't know that we're going to have internationals in November. I I think we do. I mean, we got World Cup qualifiers again for uh, Conmebol. We've got the the third round, and I mean Brazil's one of the uh, what the, the the most number of infections as a, yeah. a, a, a capita uh, in the world, and then I think they're in the top three. You mean behind what USA and India, and you mean so it, it's one of those things that I mean if you to say that okay the international uh, games should not be played in in, in Europe, then then maybe they shouldn't be, shouldn't be played in South America maybe also. They Maybe they shouldn't be. Uh, I just think that at least in South America, the games had some, from my perspective, relatively speaking, they're more meaningful games than the games going on in Europe. Uh, games in Europe, you, you could say they're meaningful for this competition or that competition, but they really, I mean, we have to we have to start prioritizing things in this this day and age. It also would have been nice to give some of the, the top professionals in the European leagues that have had to play football nonstop since June or July, whenever their leagues restarted, a little, a little bit of more of a blow. I mean, I was shocked. I mean, I was... Uh, Truthfully, I was sitting at a political meeting today, and I was sitting. I happened to be sitting next to our friend Neil Blackman, and I get an alert on my phone that England is playing Denmark. And I turned to him. I'm like, I've never seen a team play three matches in an international break. And he was focused on what was going on politically. He's like, Oh yeah, that's strange. And we talked about it after. But it, it was like I was stunned to see in an international break they had forced three games for a single nation. I don't remember that ever happening. Uh, so the, that that's another thing. <laughs> It's like I think they're just playing too many games and they're playing too many games to make up for games that haven't been played in an era when and it's see and again I wasn't paying attention so I thought England was done Sunday after that match Sunday I didn't realize they had another game and the, the, you're in a, a period with a pandemic where players are probably more susceptible and need more rest because of the pandemic instead they're getting less rest uh, under know. this regime i mean i mean the reality is is that the, the, the these teams are rotating so many i mean england as one example have got so many play, players rotating into these squads that it's it's not the same you mean the same team playing three games in, in one week and and the and the reality Kartik, is how many games from uefa nations league or commonball world cup qualifiers have been postponed zero Right. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. there are incidents happening where players get infected. Uh, I mean, most of the games in Europe, you mean, professionally speaking, most the va- the vast majority, what, 99.9 percent of those games have been played 
and they move on to the next game and, and everything's okay. Yes, the isolated but how numbers. How many guys aren't able to play? I mean, I, I just from the team I, I support, Man City, I can name several players who have been not who have not played yet this season because they they had a COVID positive test or some other right. COVID related issue. So, and I know that's the case with with several teams. And I know uh, obviously David Moyes. We've seen Alan Irvine manage the last two matches for West Ham. Moyes hasn't even been able to leave quarantine. So yeah. there are issues even if they play the games. But yeah, there's definitely issues for sure. And and actually West Ham probably doing better under uh, Alan Irvine than, than uh, David Moyes. <laughs> but but yeah, it's a, a blessing in disguise there. But um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely issues. I mean, Liverpool's had some players too. I mean, you can go down the list. I mean, Juventus now uh, with uh, Weston McKinney and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely incidents. I mean, Napoli too. So, but what I'm saying is that the vast majority. I mean, I, I don't think we should go through and just start counselling everything. I mean, you mean yes, if it is a health risk. Uh, I mean, and and a lot of the major league soccer games have been postponed. I mean, in the last what. Colorado's had like what three games in the last? Yeah, I'm getting a press release every day uh, with another postponement from MLS. But I think again, uh, the U.S. In, in fairness, so we're saying we need to speak in relative terms. The U.S. is in a lot worse shape than Western Europe, and they have 50 different uh, guidelines. And and I think COVID is is more out of control in the U.S. than probably anywhere in the world outside of now India uh, and, and maybe one or two other places. But yeah, so anyway, moving on to <laughs> women's football this weekend. Really exciting stuff uh, between uh, the NWSL and WSL. I wanted to focus for a minute on the way WSL was covered, which was, um, well, first off, Spurs-Man United, great match, even better match. Chelsea-Man City is my match of the week because I haven't seen, and I know people who don't watch women's football will get very offended or think that this is some sort of agenda-driven comment, but in terms of technical, a good technical match of football, there are very few matches I've seen since, let's say, the restart in June, or May, well, May for Bundesliga, June for everyone else, that have been this good. I'm not saying that the pace is as great as the men's game. I'm not saying that the, that the women tackle as hard and it's as exciting that way. But I'm saying technical football, organized, good touch on the ball, perfect weighted passes. Uh, when tackles are made, they're made in a very technical way. This is one of the one of the best matches I've seen since since June. Chelsea Man City once again, like the Community Shield, Man City. They just didn't, in spite of all the star names they've got, they just weren't quite at Chelsea's level. And and we're really now seeing Sam Kerr get comfortable with the English game. And and the other Sam on on, on Man City, obviously Sam Mewis, the American, had a very, very good game uh, as a two-way player. But it was just such a good technical game of football. I want to highlight the coverage. So um, NBCSN showed three matches this past weekend. They had the international feed calling the matches, but they were able to put their own graphic with uh, Atalanta football, ATA football uh, at the top. And Jonathan Pierce and Laura Bassett in the two matches they called made it a point to talk about the match being aired on NBCSN, make a point to talk about uh, 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 ATA football and to Atalanta football, and also to then mention that they're calling the match for the entire global feed. So, Chris, the big the big question for me now is the Premier League, Bundesliga, all of these different leagues have world feeds, you know, and, and CONCACAF does it, Comnibal does it, right? They all, UEFA does it. They all have world feeds that we get uh, for most of our U.S. broadcasts. 
this is the first time I remember commentators saying um, this is a world feed, but we're also on this network in the United States. And then making some very specific comments. Obviously, uh, the Spurs-Man United game had, had, had a large U.S. contingent on both teams. And then the Chelsea-Man City game had a large U.S. contingent of Lavelle and, and Mewis on City. But then in terms of Chelsea, several players who played in the U.S. before, most notably Sam Kerr. And Jonathan Pierce kept making reference to these players uh, in both those broadcasts. And it did it very clearly for the American audience, very clearly mentioned NBCSN uh, in all of uh, the broadcasts. And I thought that was interesting because we don't get that with the world feed uh, UEFA World Feed, when there are Champions League games on, they're not saying, hey, you're watching on, on Fox uh, Fox Sports 1 in the U.S. or, or uh, Premier League uh, uh, World Feeds, etc. So I thought that was really interesting. I don't remember it ever happening before. Yeah, I don't either. I, I'd imagine Carter looking at the numbers, I'm, I'm sure you mean the, the commentators and the Women's uh, Super League. Probably looking at the numbers, they're probably, you know, I would guess probably 90% of the, the global audience is probably from the US watching these games. You I mean, there's definitely a um, much bigger interest in the women's game. Yeah. Um, you mean, in the United States for sure, especially with, you mean, such a successful women's uh, national team program. And it's one something that uh, uh, the viewing number actually from this game too, like, let's pull that out too. It was uh, actually, it was the Spurs Man United game that was on um, the Women's Super League on, on the Saturday on NBCSN on a, on a rare weekend where there's no Premier League football on, but but seventy seven thousand people watched that game. That was a seven thirty uh, Eastern time kickoff. So that's yeah. I mean in previous years that's better than the Bundesliga. That's better than some some major league soccer games. That's better than Serie A. I mean that that's that's a good number, uh, and and that's something though too that uh, with NBCSN the coverage there last weekend, which is there was a lot of games on there. I think Jonathan Pearson, like you mentioned, Laura Bassett, uh, mentioning uh, the U.S. viewers um, is is rare. Um, but it's, you mean it's 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 a welcomed uh, kind of uh, nod to how, how well um, the women's game has been run in this country. Yeah, and, and one other point I would make, Laura Bassett made a great point. Uh, I, I think it was on the Chelsea-Manchester City broadcast. Uh, the same team called the uh, same broadcast was called United uh, Spurs, by the way. But uh, Laura Bassett mentioned that uh, it's very different to play in the United States uh, because of the travel that's involved and how difficult that makes things uh, in terms of in terms of travel, she's obviously familiar uh, with with playing in the United States, and her husband currently manages the Orlando Pride. So uh, that was a nice little nugget because I, that's one of the things I always say. I'm, you know, I, I I don't like see things in black and white. And yeah, I'm a I'm pretty much a critic of MLS, and everybody uh, associates me as a critic of MLS, or many people do. But then I will say things to defend MLS, like sometimes you can't compare MLS to leagues in Europe because the travel is so much more difficult in the United States, which uh, a lot of even Americans who follow European leagues, they don't acknowledge that or don't even process that. So I really, I have to say, I just personally really appreciated that comment. Absolutely. Absolutely. One more thing to add from me, and that's uh, about the Conmebol Bowl games, the World Cup qualifiers, was it was interesting to watch uh, watch these games because VAR was a major factor in, in a lot of these games. I mean, I think there was the Ecuador-Uruguay game where, if I remember correctly, there were three major decisions in this game. 
um, where the referee went to the monitor. I mean, it was so close that the, the calls were that the referee himself had to go and check out the monitor to see the replay of it and rewind and, and fast forward and back and forth. Some of these delays for some of these controversial calls, um, it took two to three minutes. Sometimes it seemed to be like maybe even closer to four minutes. It took a very long time. Ultimately, the correct decisions were made in these games. Um, but at what cost, though? Because there's so many, so much uh, stop, start, delays of the game. It really is a completely different game, Kartik. It, it, it's you I mean when you watch a game like that, yes, you want to have the correct decisions, but you you go like, man, there's got to be a faster way to kind of move through this. The reviews that uh, the 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 referees do, you I mean it kind of in in the studio where they're looking at the the footage, and sometimes it's such a close call and and. I don't know. I don't know. It, it definitely certainly takes away a lot of the, the enthusiasm for some of these games or kind of the, the excitement levels. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. And, and actually, first up is a question and comment from one of our listeners uh, named uh, Jason Ryder. Jason says, what do you think of the idea of the Premier League reducing uh, to 18 teams? I personally always wanted to see it, especially now that I have been following German football more. And I really like the league structure that they have there. Most of us can agree to the reduction to 18 teams. And to me, that was a red herring, though, cause, because the big picture really wasn't about that. I mean, that was, oh, what, that was one of the components. Um, so so to give our listeners an update on what the big picture is and, and what happened and uh, ultimately. So... Because the EFL is having some money problems and their football in general has got some money problems all over Europe, right? And uh, there are numerous – I would say there are two dozen lower division teams in England really struggling financially right now. So uh, it might even be more than that. And that seems like an extreme number actually because when you say 24 teams. But – the Premier League, excuse me, not the Premier League, um, a couple of big clubs in the Premier League decided to make this proposal, which would give 25% of income to the Football League, which uh, uh, is more generous than what the Premier League does for, for the Football League and for the rest of the Premier currently, in all fairness, which uh, which that's what kind of got me interested because I – because I think people who follow me on Twitter and, 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 and hear me on this podcast and read my articles in the past know I have a very deep disdain for the Premier League's attitude towards lower divisions and, and feel like the Premier League is more of a breakaway like an American sports league and is modeled after the NFL. It's not a pure pro-rel pyramid like some of the people in the U.S. seem to think it is. It's very different than the pre-1992 system in England, very different than the system in Germany uh, and, and other places. So this would have put more money into the football league's coffers. However, it also would have given, and I don't know what the best way to describe this is, Chris. I, I, maybe I should just come out and say it. It would have given her- hereditary permanent uh, uh rights to the elites of English football. So it would have given the big six, we know who they are, Spurs, City, United, uh, Liverpool, uh, Arsenal, and Chelsea, in addition to three teams that they claimed were uh, three clubs, which they call legacy clubs, Everton, Southampton, and West Ham, effectively permanent status where they're getting more revenue than everyone else. Yeah, actually, the the way I look at this card is a little bit different. So, so 
the a lot of these clubs, I mean, the lower league clubs, and actually, I think I think there's more than a couple of dozen. There's probably a large number, which is yeah, which is scary in in both the I mean, the Championship, League One, League Two, and and even um, semi professional soccer too in England that are really really hurting big time for for you know, with no fans in the stadium. You can just imagine, and um, so. They've been crying out to the government for help. The government said, "Okay, let's go to the Premier League. Talk to the Premier League. The Premier League will sort something out because they've got all these, I mean, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars coming in. Uh, They'll figure out a solution. So the Premier League, instead of saying, "Okay, let's go ahead and put together a plan that's going to help these lower league clubs because... They're an important factor, the important factor of the the setup and organization of soccer in the United Kingdom. Uh, they're a part of the reason that the Premier League is in existence. I mean, these, these teams that get promoted and relegated, let's have the Premier League figure out a way to go ahead and uh, give money out to these clubs. That's a fair system. Now, instead of doing figuring out some type of parachute payment or, or some type of payment to these clubs to keep them uh, alive... They said, okay, let's figure out a way. And this was led by the chairman and owners of Liverpool Football Club and Manchester United Football Club, uh, who coincidentally are both owned by Americans. Americans, yeah. And they, right. and rather than just figure out a way to give the money, they said, okay, let's figure out a way to use this as, as a power struggle, a power grab. Let's figure out a way to go ahead and... You mean with the threat of a breakaway league if we don't get what we want, but basically is to to really centralize the power instead of uh, in the Premier League with with twenty teams, each of them having uh, you mean their own vote. It's, it's a very democratic system as far as figuring out everything from uh, the way the league is run to TV revenue, which is shared equally, and then also um, there's bonuses for you know, where you fall in the table. If you win, win the league, you get more money. If you have more games on TV, you get, you get more money. So they have a system in place that's very democratic. But Man United and Liverpool and the other, the big six, plus yeah. uh, Everton, Southampton, West Ham, said, okay, let's go ahead and figure out a way and also uh, get the, um, the approval and support of the championship. So the championship clubs... And this uh, this big six plus three, so nine of, of the uh, Premier League clubs, let's figure out a way to work together so that we can get a whole, whole bunch of things passed. We can give the championship uh, teams a bunch of money uh, only if Man United and Liverpool and the big, the big six and, and, and plus three uh, are able to actually make some um, massive decisions. And those types of decisions would be, and power would be, to uh, vote on on whether or not uh, a club can be uh, get a new owner. So yeah. if uh, and effectively, Chris, I should mention that uh, the way it was going to be structured, even though Southampton, uh, West Ham, and Everton were going to have this 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 built in uh, extra uh, vote weight, also the, the the big six could control, so they could effectively veto anything. The way the vote was going to be weighted. It, it appears. So that includes right. as you were about to say, Chris, if another club wants to get an owner, if Newcastle United buy, get, has a new owner and these clubs, big six clubs feel threatened, they could veto the sale of Newcastle United to an owner that would make Newcastle United more competitive with Manchester United and Manchester City and Liverpool, etc. I, I just think about that. It's just it's it's preposterous. Yeah. It, 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 to, to even c- consider this a, a meritorious open league. So once again, we're seeing foreign owners, American owners, and and the powers that being the Premier League conspire to make 
English football a little more closed. And what I think is so fascinating about this, Chris, is this time they were working to get the small clubs, the clubs outside the Premier League, on their side to squeeze the remaining Premier League clubs who are the clubs ultimately who could be a threat to them. Particularly, in my my opinion, three big clubs that could be a threat to that big six are Aston Villa, Newcastle, and Leeds United. Those three clubs could have been squeezed completely in this in this scheme if it had gone forward. And that was probably, what it comes down to it, the real intent. Because we're seeing time and again, and I'm sorry to get on my soapbox here, but we're seeing time and again, these six big clubs are conspiring against the rest of the league and the rest of English football. They are effectively colluding with one another to try and make it a closed shop for those six clubs. This is not the first time this has happened. We've seen it in, in, in terms of media rights. We've seen it in terms of the way they talk about TV deals. It's a, We see it the way they talk about revenue coming in and how it's distributed. So um, I've been very angry about this. I'll be perfectly honest, which is why now I'm, I'm expressing my anger to the podcast and I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. Well, the other thing about this, too, is that uh, the reason that the, the, the big six clubs, which have most of the fans, have most of the TV viewers, have most of the success of uh, Premier League clubs in uh, in Europe and you mean they're the most successful teams, the reason that they wanted to get three more on board, plus the support, support of the championship, is that in the Premier League, to get anything passed currently, you need 14 of the 20 clubs to vote for it. So if they were able to get nine of them together, um, and then there's the possibility that they could swing some of the other votes and get and get to the 14, I mean, if, if they needed to, to go ahead and get, get things passed. But the other thing about this, Kartik, is, I mean, to me, I find this disgusting, the way that they're operating, because ultimately, it appears to be that what they're trying to do is really, it seems to be to go for a breakaway league, to say, you know what? Yeah. These top six clubs, yeah, there's, there's a few other clubs that, that are kind of on the fringes, but it's really this top six, six clubs. We should be generating more money than we're currently generating. Uh, why do we have to play the, the Brightons of the world? Why do we have to play the uh, you mean, Newcastles and Crystal Palaces? We should be competing uh, week in, week, at, week out against Bayern Munich, against Barcelona, against Atletico Madrid, against uh, PSG. And, and really looking for a European Super League or some type of variation of that. And it's, I mean, ultimately, it's all about the money, right? But uh, the way they went about it was really underhanded, I thought. And uh, it, it backfired. So the, uh, the Premier League cl- clubs this week uh, rejected the proposal. And uh, it's now back to the drawing board. So this, they have to try and figure out how to proceed and how to... Uh, I think League One and League Two will be okay. Well, they'll, they'll get a financial package to keep them afloat, those clubs. But between the Championship and the Premier League, trying to figure out a way to help the Championship clubs, um, that's still to be decided uh, how that happens. But, but I think it's important for our listeners to understand that these six clubs are always scheming. Okay, and they've taken advantage of a dire situation in English football to try and enhance their own power and their own revenues. And and at this point, I think there were a lot of uh, people saying 
they are they're, they're going to break away at some point. Now, keep in mind the Premier League itself was a breakaway, and it was a breakaway yep. orchestrated by a handful of clubs: uh, Manchester United, Arsenal, Everton, Spurs, and Liverpool. Those those were the big five in those days. Uh, Chelsea and Manchester City have since joined that big five, and Everton has dropped out. Although based on this proposal, Everton was going to be back in as part of a big nine. Uh, but that, that that is effectively what happened: is those five clubs decided they weren't making enough money, they didn't have enough revenue. David Dean, who was the chief executive of Arsenal, was a Miami Dolphins fan, so he knew all about the NFL uh, setup, and they effectively mimicked that and broke the league away. Uh, and, and that's part of the reason why the Football League is in the position it's in. Obviously, we're almost 30 years on from that, but uh, the, the Football League's revenues have not stayed uh, have not stayed, uh, have not grown on the same trajectory as the Premier League's revenues. Uh, at one time, the Football League was completely linked and revenues went down the pyramid. Now they don't. They do in the form of parachute payments. Uh, this would be, uh, a, 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 this this offer on, of big picture was a 25% revenue share with, with the Football League, which on the surface looks very good, but it also was then designed to squeeze the rest of the Premier League. So effectively, the revenues that would have gone to the rest of the Premier League, right? They were giving to the Football League, which at first had me intrigued, thinking, oh, this is them, them, them being good citizens. And then when I saw the details, it was like, okay, they're they're robbing Peter. You know, that, that whole analogy, right? So um, these are these clubs, just keep an eye on them because they, they have all these uh, ver- ulterior motives when they make proposals, those six clubs. And again, it's Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City, Man United, and Liverpool. They're well, all acting as bad actors right now, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and, and that's the shame of it too, because going back to Jason's question about uh, reducing the number of teams in the Premier League, there were some ideas in this proposal that made sense. There was, okay, reduce it down to 18 teams in, in the Premier League. Uh, go ahead and abolish the League Cup. You mean, basically, is it worth it? No. Okay, it's gone. Go and ahead the and, the char- and, the, and the Community Shield. Get it, get rid of the Community Shield. So you get rid of some of the uh, super, superfluous games that uh, add a lot more congestion and... Uh, I mean, so far are not as exciting just because they're not as meaningful. And a lot of these Premier League clubs are playing um, even youth players or second string players in these games anyway. So so get rid of uh, kind well, of Let me ask you, let me ask you as a Swansea fan, though. You won the League Cup, right? You're not going to yes. win much silverware. Thanks. So, so no, no, I, <laughs> no. I know, I know, I know. How fair is it to clubs like Swansea to get rid of the League Cup? Uh, Liverpool well, may not be interested in the League Cup. They're not interested in domestic cups, but they shouldn't take away that opportunity from I'm, other clubs, which I'm okay. is how I interpreted that, yeah, by I, the way. I, I'm, so, like, I'm, we don't care about that, so let's get rid of it. I'm, I'm okay with that, though, Kartik, to be honest with you, because, um, it, I mean, I mean, even in the championship, um, the League Cup is not as important as it used to be. And, and even some of the League Cup games, you have championship clubs playing a lot of their youth and second-string players. Um, yes, it's great to win. It's great to win a trophy. If the if the league cup did go away, I'm sure the the clubs in the football league would probably come together and figure out some new tournament that would be, you I mean, just football league clubs only, or some type of uh, trophy or something, as, as kind of a re- replacement for that. But um, but that's the thing about this idea behind really kind of this uh, project, big picture, is what they called it. Is it had some really good ideas. Except to me, those were red herrings. Those were things that they put in there to get, to get the majority of the people thinking like, wow, this, this makes sense. This is great. Let's go ahead and do it. But, but don't pay t- attention to 
uh, the shift in in the uh, the power of of the, of this and uh, what they wanted really, which is being able to have, you mean the um, the big six to have a really influent influential uh, voting uh, power on things for the future, so they could make some dramatic changes. They could say, you know what, we're going to do a breakaway league. We're going to have a league of uh, say 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 it's ten teams, and we're going to compete in a European Super League, and we're going to. Uh, figure out a way to generate more and more money for these clubs, and and maybe it, also I'm sure Kartik, this is part of the idea of thinking at least long term. Let's get rid of relegation. These ten clubs are, are permanent. Uh, there'll always be the, the biggest ten clubs in in the UK, and and uh, there's going to be no relegation. So this would have completely, if passed, this would have completely changed the landscape of English football as we know it. It would have changed the the TV rights. It would have changed I mean, the League Cup going out, out, of bit, out of business, Community Shield getting rid of that, uh, forming some type of European Super League perhaps for the future, which has been talked about for, for decades. Um, this really was a disgusting ploy by the clubs. And, and, and at the end of the day, Kartik, unfortunately... There was a lot of anti-Americanism in this too, because I mean, if you went on social media and read comments about Project Big Picture, oftentimes, even in the Telegraph, it was kind of positioned as you know, the Americans. The Americans are trying to do this to our league. The reality, Kartik, you know this better than I do, or better than anyone does. Uh, most of the, the clubs in the Premier League are owned by foreign owners. It's very rare that you get a, a club that's owned by um, you know, UK residents. Most of the clubs are owned by what Middle East, America, Russia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, but th- yeah, I, and I agree with that. And Chris, there is a different attitude, and I have found this from talking to supporters of various clubs toward if an owner is from Malaysia or Thailand or Abu Dhabi, like in the case of Man City, uh, or or. or uh, China. There's a different at well, maybe not with China, but uh, the, the, from some some place in the far 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 east. Uh, then there is uh, there's a different attitude towards those foreign owners versus owners from the United States. There's just an overriding fear among most hardcore football supporters that Americans are driven by capitalism first, which is bottom line driven, and that they would turn. Uh, British football, English football into the NFL uh, directly like the NFL if they ever got the chance. So I, I, I think it's true. The majority of owners are, uh, are foreign, but there's a special contempt for American owners. And and a lot of it is based on fearful stereotypes, not based on anything we've actually seen, but it's definitely there. Uh, there's a different attitude towards a, a Thai owner than there is towards an American owner. Absolutely. Among yep. most supporters. Yeah, and there's definitely a, c- a component to this, though, too. I mean, it's not that, uh, you mean, that, you mean, basically, Liverpool and Man United uh, being owned and operated by Americans and running those businesses very much like American companies. Uh, Man United taking in all this debt. Uh, Liverpool, uh, to me, making a lot of good decisions in terms of the way that they're running the club, expanding the stadium. Uh, increasing the commercial uh, side of the business and and probably going down the path of making some mostly correct decisions move, moving forward as a business and Liverpool really I mean imp- increasing the brand increasing the number of fans that they have so it's not that uh, all Americans are good I mean there's definitely it's like any com- any country there's good uh, business people that know what they're doing and there's bad business people that, don't, that have no no clue. 
but you mean I just get did get a lot of tinge of a lot of uh, English soccer fans and probably fans from other countries too, just kind of criticizing this because it was led by American business people. Yeah, I actually got attacked by one fan randomly, like, oh, you're an American, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait a second, I actually agree with you type of thing. But just basically, uh, this was on Twitter, basically it became open season against any Americans. And I, I think a lot of American fans of the Premier League may not quite understand this dynamic, but there is a lot of disdain among working class English fans uh, toward American owners because of this fear of the U.S. being very bottom line driven. And I think while Liverpool has been well run, Chris, mm-hmm. I would agree with you. What has happened recently with Liverpool, which is uh, the laying off of employees and non-investment in its women's club when compared to other women's clubs, uh, In although now Manchester United is investing well in their women's club. But when you compare it to, to even Everton across town or uh, Man City, Chelsea, arsenal uh there's been a lot of uh concern that liverpool is not being actually well run they're being run too much like a business now uh since covid started right i agree with that so so let's move on um the next news item is that uh this is a story that we have the exclusive to actually we broke the story on uh i think tuesday of this week is that is that cbs sports uh has unveiled a new live champions league whip around show and it's going to debut next Tuesday when the Champions League group stage begins. It's going to be called the Golasso Show. So Golasso, uh, as far as kind of uh, a really goal show. And it's really, it is a whip around show because it focuses on uh, 90 minutes of all the goals from all the games being played at the same exact time. So what it means, though, from that three o'clock uh, Eastern to five o'clock Eastern uh, window uh, the Golasso show will be available on CBS Sports Network as well as CBS All Access. What it means is that there's no one game that uh, CBS is going to show on television. Every single game will be available uh, for the entire season and moving forward, of course, um, on exclusively on uh, in English on um, CBS All Access. But the Golasso show, the, the whip around show, will go from game to game to game. It'll begin with one of the games, probably one of the major games, and uh, will feature commentary by Clive Tilsley or Peter Drury. It'll begin with that game, but as soon as goals start going in at the other games, it'll switch to that game, show you the goals from that. Maybe some other goals or other incidents or a penalty kick. It'll mo- keep on moving throughout those 90 minutes. So for a lot of viewers and a lot of listeners some will be upset some will be like hey why aren't you showing psg against man united i want to watch that on television well if you want to watch if you want to watch it in english the only way to do it is to actually uh, watch uh, cbs all access they still have the seven day free trial uh, to watch it on streaming and of course you can always uh, watch it on your big screen by connecting uh, i mean your laptop or phone etc or chromecast to there uh what, what about you kartik are, are you what's what what's your going what's your viewing option so like next tuesday for example there's a whole bunch of games happening at the same exact time this um six games happening and all of them pretty much are um pretty much most of them are must sees so for example you've got um let me pull it up right here you got chelsea against sevilla you got lazio against dortmund you got uh, psg against man united uh, you have Barcelona against uh, Ferran Varos, uh, the Hungarian side, and uh, RB Leipzig against uh, Istanbul uh, Bazak Siri, 
and then Ren against uh, Krasnodar. So you've got all these games happening at the same time. If you, wh- how are you going to watch the Champions League when it comes to Tuesday? What's your uh, viewing option of choice here, Kartik? Well, if I'm able to watch it Tuesday, because unfortunately I'm in the middle of this election campaign, so it's a big if. Uh, I will probably watch CBS Sports Network. Now, okay, so I probably will have one stream running on all access, but I think I'm really intrigued by this. I mean, I, I am. I think because, you know, we've seen these sort of whip around shows on Fox and on 2DNA, but I, I, I think getting it is like the mainstream as the number one option. It doesn't bug me. In fact, I'm really kind of intrigued by it because I think that there are during the group stages of Champions League, we have seen how many times, Chris, how many times have we talked about, uh, particularly since Turner got the rights, but even when Fox would, would, would show games, but it, there were clear tiers, right? The, the best game would be on FS1. Uh, there would be games bumped to Fox Sports Regional. There'd be games bumped elsewhere, uh, Fox Sports, uh, Deportes, etc. How many times have we said, you know what? They should have shown that match on FS1. <laughs> they should have shown that match on TNT. It happens every week. Yeah. So I'm actually intrigued by this as the number one option because I think you can't lose with this. I think so too, as long as it's well done. So it, it's difficult because it is live. It's happening. Uh, you mean, it's happening in real time. It's very difficult to uh, be able to monitor all those games looking for all the action. But we've seen it done successfully. I mean, the zone of football, we went to the studio at Tudu NA recently, I mean, what, like six to nine months ago, we interviewed the guys there, we did a whole piece on it, we did an interview on the podcast, and um, zone of football, and, and also we've seen whip around shows, NBC's done it with the Premier League many, many years ago, MLS has done it on NBC, I mean, you, you go down the list, Fox Soccer Match Pass used to have, have a, a whip around show, it's possible. And actually, for me personally, I prefer it this way. I prefer it because I don't have one team that I support that's in the Champions League. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm there to watch exciting soccer. I'm there to see the goals. I'm there to see all the incidents. And with Turner's coverage of the Champions League, I always felt that I was missing out because they'd have the one game and oftentimes it'd be PSG against whoever – before the game would start, they'd have a whole thing about basketball and Neymar and interviewing him about basketball. And I'm like, just get to the game, show me the game. And then meanwhile, the game itself would, would be a dead rubber. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh. And then you see maybe uh, post-match, you see some highlights of, of all the things you missed. And you're like, oh man, if only I had known that was the game to watch. So I think that solves all of these things. I mean, for me personally, I'll, I will be watching it. I will watch the uh, Golasa show and... Uh, hope that uh, it does well i mean thus far with what cbs sports has done since uh, since july with the champions league and the europa league it's been top notch i mean it really has been so i'm confident that they'll put a really great effort into it it's the first time doing it so there might be some mistakes or might be some things that they'll fine tune but i'm really excited about it and and if you're a fan of chelsea if you're a fan of man united or a fan of barcelona you can still watch those games in the, in its entirety in the 90 minutes both live and on demand there's the cbs all access or you can watch it in spanish spanish language with um, univision or tuduene or unamas or galavision so we have if anything more choices than ever before and uh just go the path that's going to be the most enjoyable for you. That, that, that's what I would say to, to the listeners. All right, Kartik, uh, next up is a piece of news. Uh, not really TV streaming news, but it is news. And that, that is we have a jersey giveaway. 
and uh, we've t- teamed up with uh, Wolfsburg uh, in Germany to give away their away kit. And uh, have you seen what the away kit looks like, Kartik? Yeah, it's it's awesome. You know, it's kind of this glow in the dark. Um, I guess it's dark blue or, or black. It's black. really black. Yeah, with uh, with, uh, with kind of the, the the green Wolfsburg color highlight down the side. It's a Nike kit, and it's got a uh, it's got the Wolfsburg uh, the, the VW logo in the middle. It's it's really an awesome kit. So, have you seen the a picture of the one we're giving away on the back? What it says on the back of it? I have not seen it. Oh, uh, Kartik. You're missing out. It's uh, John Brooks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know whose kid it is, right? <laughs> I thought there was something. Yeah, it's a John Brooks kid, of course, U.S. international John Brooks kid. Uh, what you what you need to do, folks, uh, is follow World Soccer Talk, which you should be following already, uh, in, all, in all honesty. On Twitter. And follow uh, Wolfsburg's U.S. account, which is uh, at VFL Wolfsburg underscore U.S. Like and retweet the uh to win a john brooks uh wolfsburg away kit and uh we'll take it from there yeah definitely so uh this will run through till the weekend as a big uh the bundesliga will be back this weekend of course and uh the wolfsburg has a big big match this weekend so uh if you do follow at world soccer talk on twitter uh there'll be more information about uh entering there just in case you forget but uh definitely check it out we're really excited about that one more thing Kartik, before we move on to the tv ratings in the news segment and that is, uh, I mentioned before, watching a lot of these uh, Conmebol World Cup qualifiers on pay-per-view. Well, these past days, I mean, soccer fans in the US wanting to watch these games only had one option to watch uh, the matches live, and that was pay-per-view. With the games priced at $30 per match, it's very likely that Conmebol will continue making the World Cup qualifiers available as pay-per-view only for... Um, only for this uh, qualifying cycle. So the, the chances of these games being on television are pretty slim. Uh, the, the agency that has the rights to the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers is MediaPro. And according to one of my sources, MediaPro has been in contact with, with uh, several streaming companies throughout North and Central America to offer them the opportunity to distribute the games on a pay-per-view basis. Now, with CONMEBOL, which is the South American Confederation, uh, not being able to make any revenue from fans um, not being in the stadiums, that's the main reason why CONMEBOL is only offering these games as pay-per-view. They're trying to make up for massive losses in in, uh, ticket revenue uh, sales. So for soccer fans, uh, this definitely sets a precedent that uh, it's possible that other confederations may copy what CONMEBOL is doing and, and and MediaPro are doing. But um, that's where we're at today. I mean, the the business side, the financial side, uh, a lot of these companies and a lot of these you mean, football uh, federations and, and uh, confederations have lost potentially millions of dollars. And they're looking for ways to recoup, them, re- recoup these losses. One of them is pay-per-view. So don't be surprised in the future if uh, for World Cup qualifiers, whether it's CONCACAF, uh, it's very likely it's going to be Conmebol again, but even other federations too, that uh, pay-per-view may be a big part of soccer's future. All right, Kartik, uh, let's move on to TV ratings. Not a lot to report. We already talked about the Spurs-Man United game in the Women's Super League, uh, but uh, France against Portugal on ESPN on Sunday. Uh, that was a mid-afternoon game, and uh, 181,000 people tuned into that. 
And then LAFC against Seattle on ESPN on Sunday. And this was in prime time. And this was 173,000 viewers for that. All right, moving on to listener mailbag. Uh, First up is JP. JP says, think you're both putting too much expectations on studio analysis for the Premier League. For the most part, I ignore it, even for traditional American sports, and I just watch the games. All that's needed, um, it's, a, it's a little a lineup analysis pre-match and then recap of the big moments at halftime and then the end of the match or cut to post-match interviews. Even the commentator recap and highlights from the world feed on ESPN Plus matches are just fine. No studio at all. Not sure if the majority of viewers agree, but I think it's completely disposable. And the main purpose is to bookend the match and give it an air of professionalism and importance instead of the flip the switch method that FS2 often used for the Bundesliga. Now, Kartik, uh, this goes against everything we've said and believe in in many ways. I, I think that uh, this this whole, I mean, idea of just give us the lineup, just give us uh, some some highlights halftime and then post-match as soon as the game is over, that's cut to commercial and then let's move on to the next program that pretty much is fox's uh fox soccer uh is their um kind of their mo right that's kind of what they've been doing for years and years and that's as amount of, that's a pretty much the amount of effort they put into uh coverage of soccer on fox i i think in many ways i mean for me personally I, I enjoy the commentators. I enjoy the analysis. I enjoy the debate and discussions. I when it's done well, and oftentimes, sometimes it's not done well. Where I mean, I I walk away from a, a TV broadcast. I love when I've learned something. I love when I've seen something different. I love when I have something that kind of a deep thought that came from something the commentator said or something that the the studio talent said. That for me is something that I enjoy. It's it's a bonus on top of the game itself. What about you, Kartik? Do you, do you see JP's point though? I mean, I see his point in the sense that it's better than than not having anything like what we had with FS2. However, the the problem I have is that NBC set a certain standard for this, right? And uh, from my my perspective, they've 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 regressed when compared to the competition. And at best, they've stayed in place when compared to their previous efforts. I think they've actually regressed, actually. I think they've regressed relative to the competition. They've regressed relative uh, to, to their own standard from beginning 2013, yeah, August of 2013, when they got the Premier League right. So uh, that's my real complaint. So if they had never set the standard, if they just had these uh, you know, 10-minute lead-in shows like Fox often ha- had for, for Bundesliga on FS1 and, and, and no lead-in show like on FS2 – then I don't think we complain as much. We take whatever we got as a bonus, mm-hmm. but because NBC set the standard that it's now, it seems like they're backsliding pretty dramatically. And as they lose talent, they don't adequately replace this talent. I, I've said this over and over again. So that, that that's my, my thing. They set a high bar and we're judging them by that high bar. Yeah. The, the best example I can give really is the, is the Premier League. And looking back to when Fox Sports uh, or Fox Soccer had the rights to the Premier League, comparing that to when they sublicensed some of the games to ESPN and you'd have a, a game on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning on ESPN2 and it was uh, Steve McManaman and Ian Dark oftentimes uh, commentating and having a, uh, a pre-match discussion, halftime discussion. That gave a bump to the TV viewing numbers. People were 
responded to that. That resonated with the audience. And then when they went to NBC, when they acquired the rights um, uh, after Fox Sports, um, that was, took it to a whole new level. That was like something that we hadn't seen before with the Premier League, just really in-depth analysis, really you know, fantastic coverage, and a lot of shoulder programming, hours and hours of shoulder programming. And with the NBC, the, the numbers uh, bumped up too. So I think what we're, the stage we're in now too, that we've talked about uh, quite a bit on this podcast, is that uh, we feel that uh, NBC has gotten complacent. It, it, the coverage has become static. It's become predictable. Not as good as it used to be, and, and they've failed to really raise the bar to the next level. Now, who comes in to get the, the Premier League rights when they're up in, like, what, a year and a half? Is it a CBS Sports? Is it a Amazon? Is it somebody else that can take it to the next level that uh, offers the accessibility and makes it available easily, but also improves the coverage even more that uh, makes it something that's even even a bigger hit than what it is today. I, I think it's a big component. It's, it's, it's a big reason we do this podcast, too, where we talk about uh, the coverage we do like and don't like, etc. Next up is Will, and this is uh, based on a comment uh, or based on some opinions I gave in the last podcast, I think it was, where I mentioned that... Uh, I'm loving these games. I mean, games every day. I'm just missing the component of uh, fans being in the stadium, hearing the fans singing, seeing them, you mean, waving the flags and, and just really that atmosphere that uh, cannot be replaced. Will says, Chris, you aren't enjoying the games because no fans can show up because there is a pandemic. First world, world problem much. In case you missed it, missed it, pandemic. You may think you are being mindful of that, but you really aren't. And obviously, I know that there's a pandemic on. All I was saying is that I enjoy the games. Uh, I would enjoy them more if the fans were in the stadium. I don't want the fans going in the stadium if it's not safe. But I, I just miss miss that component of watching soccer. That's all I was saying. Disco George says, with regards to the threat of CONCACAF qualifiers being on pay-per-view... I remember trying to watch US away matches on that janky Go90 app because of uh, because so many of the CONCACAF countries had sold their home rights to be in sports, which was a massive ordeal to get in some areas at the time. Twitter was ablaze with furious US fans even before that game in Cova because they couldn't get Go90 to work. Pay-per-view probably would have been a better experience than that. Go90 made Peacock look like the best app in the history of streaming. Uh, yeah, well, actually, uh, yeah, the Go90, it, it was free. It was from Verizon Wireless. Uh, it did well in many ways in into getting being sports into more homes in the United States. Um, but there were some instances where it did crash just from the sheer amount of people trying to watch games, oftentimes at US away games. Um, it's I don't know I I, I miss it I miss Go ninety because it was it was a good solution a, a good idea. What about you, Kartik? Do you have any uh, memories of uh, trying to watch away games for the U.S. men's national team on pay per view or uh, uh, other methods? No, but I do remember watching the NWSL on Go ninety and I couldn't stand it. <laughs> it was a horrible app. Uh, in terms of the U.S. on pay per view. Copa America in 95 is the last time I remember. Oh, okay. So there was the, um, there was, uh, I remember that. Yeah. Was there a game in 2000, the 2002 world cup qualifying that we had to pay, uh, do pay-per-view? 
qualifying. I can't remember that one. Yeah, I remember the 1995 Copa America. Yeah, I, I'm trying to – I don't remember. See, we thought we were going to have to do pay-per-view for Mexico in 2009 at Azteca, and then uh, NBC Universal eventually put the game on, on, on Mundos, which was uh, uh, difficult yeah. for a lot of people. But people discovered they had the channel when they didn't know they had the channel previously. But, no, I, I don't really remember that. But I do remember the Go90 app being uh, – being very very bad for the NWSL, the season of NWSL was on there. That's the other thing, though, too, Karting about this whole pay per view that Disco George mentions too is that uh, next summer's Copa America, the rights have not been sold yet. Um, when it was going to be played um, um, this this summer, this past summer, uh, it looked like Telemundo was going to acquire the rights. But now, with the world being completely different, it's completely changed, right? Uh, and with Carnival being the hosts of Copa America, there's a possibility that Copa America next year could be on pay-per-view. Entirely possible. And from what I can see and from what I understand, I, I don't have the numbers, but um, I can look at I mean, web traffic. I can look at the amount of people uh, looking at uh, pay-per-view. And, and just from this past 10 days with the Carnival World Cup qualifiers, all indications are that this was a big success for pay-per-view it's it wasn't a i mean a lot of soccer fans were like ah i hope this thing dies i hope this thing is a failure from what i gather this was a huge success now what what that means revenue wise whether a b in sports or a pay-per-view provider uh, was able to actually generate more money from these games being on pay-per-view and having maybe say 10 percent of the audience that they normally do but having these 10 percent paying 30 dollars each to watch the game versus 100% of the audience, and um, they're paying effectively nothing other than a subscription to be in sports. This, again, could change the way that we look at soccer, at least for the future until fans return to the stadiums. Even then, though, you mean it's going to take time for that ticket revenue to generate to a certain uh, amount where the confederations might feel comfortable in in stopping pay-per-view. But... Uh, be forewarned, let me say that, that it looks like pay-per-view could be a big part of soccer's future, uh, which is not good news for the average soccer fan. But um, at least with the World Soccer Talk podcast, at least you guys hopefully will have a heads up and won't be shocked and surprised if, it, if and when it does happen. So we want you to have your say. If you have any questions, feedback, opinions about uh, anything we've discussed or about uh, watching soccer from around the world um, in the US, you mean on TV, streaming or apps, let us know. We want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And don't forget, you can listen to the World Soccer Talk podcast every week on your favorite uh, assistant, uh, including Google, Google Home and Alexa. Just tell them to play World Soccer Talk or the World Soccer Talk podcast. And thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of this podcast every Thursday. Uh, we've got it released on Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. In Kartik, heading into another weekend, international break is over. Uh, there's a lot of games uh, scheduled this weekend to look forward to. What should you do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 